Shows are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Welcome to the Adventures in Tech Podcast. Talking the latest tips and trends in educational technology to innovate and engage your students. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Dan. Hello, everybody. Once again, welcome to the Adventures in Tech podcast. My name is Andrew. And I'm Dan. And this is episode number six. We are extremely excited that you're joining us on this venture once again. And as always, if you do like the content, please help us out by providing feedback and a rating on the platform you are using to listen to us. We definitely greatly appreciate your support. Dan, there's been so much going on. We're a little bit delayed than normal. Talk to me about what's going on. Um, just really busy now, just being in a lot of classrooms, um, working with, um, a variety of teachers, uh, with basically setting up student-centered classrooms, um, using techniques and different tools in order to help students, um, really take ownership of their learning, start developing inquiries, developing their questions, developing collaboration and research strategies, sharing it all together. And one tool that I've been going to um, repeatedly over and over again is Google Jamboard. We love Jamboard. I love Jamboard. Um, What we're doing is students are going through a question formulation techniques in order to develop some driving questions um, for what they're studying, whether it's a PBL unit or, or, or something a little smaller. And they're working in a format where they can process and make an understanding as an individual. Okay. Bring it to a small group where they can share and build consensus. Um, And as they're building consensus, they're posting their questions and their understandings up on a Jamboard. So when every small group is posting up into that Jamboard, the teacher can easily facilitate a discussion and generate an understanding together. So I've been really excited. I've been doing that with fourth grade. I've been doing that with 10th grade. So it's definitely been uh, a great use of that tool. Yeah, it's a quick snapshot, too, to see if, you know, a a check on the students learning and if they're getting the concepts. And it's not just the lecture. That's the most important. You know, as these kids come back, we know their social skills are, you know, lacking compared to if they had a sense of normalcy over the past 18 months or so. Now they're able to work on those social skills while doing all these activities that are beneficial to the curriculum and, and what you're, the learning that's going on. And it really provides the opportunity for small group instruction for the teachers. So the teacher's not up there delivering, like, the driving questions right. for themselves and not delivering the content for themselves right off the bat where, where, with that direct instruction. The students are generating their own ideas, their own understandings, their own questions. And as they're actively engaged, the teacher can go around from group to group, provide all the scaffolds that they need, And then now that everyone is kind of at a base level, that discussion is much richer. That direct instruction is much more meaningful because the students already are partially or or fully invested in the discussion that's going on. Right. And I think the forefront, the idea needs to be is as educators, as parents, as administrators, we really need to be, one word comes to mind, we need to be adaptable. We need to be adaptable to the technology we have in front of us, the things that happen day in, day out, the experiences, the social emotional experiences that students have at home, uh, you know, whatever happened that day on the bus. We, we don't know everybody's, you know, uh, life events that can definitely contribute to whether they have a good day or a bad day. I mean, we all have those. And so when you create these experiences that are adaptable to 
students' learning styles, teachers delivering the stuff, flexible learning experiences, as well as that small group instruction. It's really honing in on student needs, which we know are at the forefront of what we're doing in education right now. So true. So, uh, as always, we have some news. Uh, it is November. We are excited. The NiceScape Better Together 2021 conference is being held in Rochester. Now, what are we going to talk about when NiceGate is over? Oh, well, we got, uh, we got Matt Miller's uh, Ditch Summit. We're good okay. <laughs> through, through I just January. I want to make sure. <laughs> but um, one thing we wanted to mention is I know Dan and I are very excited um, about the NiceGate conference, and we do have a whole team in our district going. We have some... Uh, ELA professional development specialist, some STEAM professional development specialist, or, uh, the director of technology, who's going to be a big part of our podcast mm-hmm. while we're there. Uh, Art, so you'll get to you know hear his voice and what he has to say about things. But I did want to mention that there is a virtual option. So if your district, you know, if you can't get the district release time, if you can't make it up to Rochester for whatever reason, um, there is a virtual option. You can still register for that. You get to attend the sessions. Um, I don't want to say live vicariously through us with the other things, but the majority of the things are you all be you will be able to experience workshops and sessions and keynotes. Um, I'm not sure about the corporate council, but we are definitely excited. So if you cannot be there in person, definitely check out the Nice Skate Conference for the virtual option, which I think could be extremely beneficial. And I'll also add on: if you have not joined Nice Skate, you should definitely join Nice Skate. And it's free to join, as, as Andrew said last week, free 99. Free 99. Free 99 membership. Um, but NiceGate offers a lot um, beyond this conference and bringing things together. There's a lot of resources. There's a lot of courses and classes that you can take. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely very active throughout New York State. So yeah. you can find your local chapters and, and your local organizations and get involved with them. So definitely look at NiceGate and consider joining. Yeah, they have a bunch of the local events and meetups, like Dan said, so that's always good to have because they are statewide, even though we talk about the, the nice gate, and they do have different chapters, Mid-Hudson, Long Island, North County, so on and so forth. They have all of these different chapters that do have meetups and events and uh, you know regional conferences, tons of free classes with CTLE credit if you mm-hmm. need that. So uh, definitely check out, if you have not joined, it is free. Uh, and that way you'll get on their mailing list and you'll get all this information, which is important. I know we talk about the Ditch Summit. Matt Miller, big fan, uh, big friend of the podcast and of Dan and mine's individually. Uh, December 13th through January 7, 2022, year number six for the Ditch That Textbook Digital Summit. If you're not sure what it is, free online conference for educators, tons of resources and information. And all you got to do is go to ditchsummit.com to get registered. So, any other news, Dan? I mean, I know we've been busy. We talked about those, that one experience, um, something that I've, I've kind of really taken an interest in. All I do is keep engulfing myself with mm-hmm. the information is this eSports program. Right. And we don't have a ton of information. If you did get to attend NiceGate the last time it was in person, which was, what, 19, uh, I believe, uh, fall of 19. Game changer. Game changer. It was a big focus of the conference and you know obviously things got pushed on hold for the last you know 20 months or so um but i'm excited that we are starting to make progress and take the steps to initiate an esports program specifically in our district in our region there's a lot of conversation a lot of buzz around Mm -hmm. it and i think we can dedicate more about 
what our plans are and, you know, how to grow in esports, how to start an esports program as we, you know, start going through the process ourselves, which we have in the next couple couple weeks. Um, I do I do believe there's also going to be a component of that up at NiceGate. Mm-hmm. So we'll be able to talk more about that as well. But the esports thing has really excited me because, you know, that ties into a, something I've been working on, which we found last week, Dan and I, and I forgot... I forgot the Twitter user's name, but oh. we'll, 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 put, we'll put it in the show notes. Gamification. Students, you know, we talk about their social skills, but gamification and making things fun. They're, everybody likes to compete, whether it's in an athletic sport, whether it's the arts, the music, uh, gaming, same thing. We all like to, you know, have some level of competition. So we found uh, this this program, uh, the the spreadsheet that this gentleman created and shared out on Twitter. We always say we're big, mm-hmm. big uh, proponents of you know expanding your your PLN, your professional learning network, and really including uh, you know others and following others because everybody shares everything because they want what's best for kids. So this gamification thing, long story short, he created a bunch of different ones for his classroom, but the one that really intrigued Dan and I was on Mario Kart. Uh, I feel like it's a, a safe spot, and it could be. Uh, it, it really people of all ages like Mario Kart. You know, it doesn't really matter. It, it's you know everybody. It's a household name with Mario, so it was definitely cool. And we've been messing with the formulas and trying to do some math facts with a third grade classroom. So that excites me. In conjunction with the esports, that's all coming. So. Um, we will post uh, a link. You got it, Dan. Of course you do. I'm not, I'm not yet. I'm looking for <laughs> All it. I'm right. looking for it. But, but we'll definitely get it in the show notes. We will post it in the show notes so you can definitely check it out and see how you want to tweak it as well. Um, as far as uh, the weekly windup, there is some news that came out. We found a couple things, uh, specifically with Google. We're going to start with Google and the Googleverse. Um, actually just released a very new was the request and review formal document approvals in Google Docs. So what's changing is they had this in beta for a while uh, for doc sheet slides, and now they're rolling it out to more users. So once requested, approvers can uh, approve, reject, add comments, edit the document in response, and all of this is done without leaving the Google Workspace uh, environment. It's right underneath the file tab, and it'll be underneath download. It'll say approval. So it's definitely something... Uh, cool. It's it's going to be more of an admin level, mm-hmm. you know, but I do think that it does have the ability when you are sharing uh, with your colleagues, maybe you create something and you want to get their feedback. You know, it's tough to always be able to line up your schedules. Now, you know, we had the comment feature and everything like that, but now it'll be very simple. Everybody approves it. Right. And it, it'll work nice when you're collaborating with, with, um, a lot of people, because once you set the approval process, reviewers get an email, a browser, or a chat notification. Right. Um, they'll receive a link where they can follow directly to the document. You can set a due date. That's great. For the approval, so they'll receive email reminders that their approval is needed or past due. Um, and then you'll be able to prevent any user from editing the item's contents or leaving comments once that date has passed. Yeah, and that's huge because we all share documents in, in the Google Workspace, you know, atmosphere. But you, you sometimes forget it was shared with you if you don't mark it as new in your Gmail or, or something. So those reminders of it's like a task and it's making you more organized and efficient to get things done. And that's important. It is uh, on its way out, rapid release, scheduled release, full rollout. Now, again, one to three days for visibility uh, starting November 8th. 
which is today. And then the schedule release domains could have a gradual rollout uh, as well. It could start up to November 24th. So we'll, you know, we'll circle back to this as well. Um, Rabbit release could have, if you have an extended rollout, that's November 15th. So you have another week. And one thing I did want to say is it is not available to uh, Workspace Business Starter, Education Fundamentals, Education Standard, Frontline, and G Suite Basic customers, and you're not going to see it on your personal Google accounts. Mm-hmm. So uh, at this point, right now, you're not going to see uh, you know see that option. But the approvals thing, and again, we'll link everything in the show notes. Definitely something to check out as it'll help uh, you work effectively and efficiently. Uh, the next thing in Google that has been updated, I think, in the last few weeks is improved citations in Google Docs. Yeah. Um, when Google Docs incorporated the citations last year, I, I was thrilled. Um, I always, you know, would use citation makers. I'd use, like, um, what was it, EasyBib? Yeah, EasyBib. EasyBib. Um, I think Google just put EasyBib out of <laughs> business. I don't know. but um, And there was Noodle Tools. And then I know a lot of our library media specialists had, had their citation tools, which they all work fantastic. Correct. But, again, for ease and simplicity to have things in one place is great. So in any Google Doc, if you go under the tools section, you'll see citations. Um, what they did now was they now – added the ability to search for books and online sources and automatically populate some of the attributes for the citation already. So it, it just streamlines the uh, process. Um, things that you can do with the citations, you can choose your citation format. So whether it's MLA, Chicago, APA, right. Chicago. I mean, as, as I look at this more, I'm like, where was this when, when I was in grad school? We're just old. I, I guess. I mean, I think <laughs> that's it, what it comes down to. <laughs> I, I just remember writing like a 50 page reflective essay for grad school. And I think it took me just as long to cite my paper as it did oh, to yeah. write my papers. Um, but now you'll be able to choose your citation format add and edit sources and then even add in text citations to your document and then update update a works cited page um, and, and it'll put it in in the right format. So that's huge because and, and I think. You know, all of the library media specialists out there are, are doing a fantastic job, to, and ELA teachers, teaching citing of sources, specifically with books. But I do think as we have more avenues to gather information, specifically online, it's tough to cite those. Mm-hmm. So this is a fantastic uh, tool. Uh, I'm excited about that for, you know, just specifically for the online portion. I think that's a challenge for students to know what's included because they've been taught, you know, the specific formats and ways by, you know, by their educators. Um, It is being released. Gradual rollout started November 2nd. Uh, Schedule release, full rollout again, one to three days starting November 29th. So, again, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, it will come. It is available for personal Google Mm -hmm. accounts, which is important as you're doing those papers. And, of course, it's available to all Google Workspace customers, G Suite Basic, and business. You know, I I just will have to add, when I I teach my uh, graduate course at at a local university and I point out the – these resources in Google Docs, the, my students' minds get blown. Yeah, they're like, why wasn't I taught this for the first four years? <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, um, so another thing we want to talk about real quick is Pebble Go Create. So if you're not familiar with Pebble Go, Pebble Go is like an online um, uh, area for, for you to get uh, text, nonfiction texts, animals, 
uh, reptiles, every, everything like that. So what we want to talk about uh, as part of Capstone Publishing is the Pebble Go Create has has come out. And the nice thing is they have Pebble Go Spanish as well. And it definitely helps students. It's geared more towards, let's say, K-6. But they have animals and biographies. They explore all that, health more. Uh, tons of things that can spark the curiosity of your students. But the nice thing that is now this new Pebble Go Create is it's really about visualizing and sharing the reading. So they have like the sneak peek and the look at the favorite tools and all that kind of stuff for the Pebble Go Create. And it app smashes, as I know Dan is already looking at that. He's excited with Buncee. Talk about it, Dan. Um, Buncee is a great platform for for engaging students in in work that you can create in an interactive format. Um, I definitely, if if you're interested, um, it's almost like a Google Slides enhanced yeah um, where, where you can you can create things that are like a slide deck but have different activities and build upon them in, in one place so being able to to app smash these two together um i think will be great so you can add new buncees new activities into it and then keep it all in a library and then have your students interact with the content that you create. Yeah, and as we think of a safe space for our youngest learners, this is kind of where it is. We know as we get into the older students, you know, middle school and up, uh, they're able to use certain applications to really design and craft their Google Slides with Canva Mm -hmm. and all of those versus the youngest, you really want something that's going to be easy to use Buncee is something definitely to check out uh, in that regard. And and what's nice about a platform like Buncee, and we look at this, you can easily create the interactive content. So it's not that you have to decide on what's already there and adapt it. Um, you can be the instructional designer and you can create your interactive content. Right. So uh, that's how all we have for the weekly wind-up with news. It's a lot, I know. There's a lot with the two Googles, but definitely something to check out, uh, you know, is the new uh, first look at Pebble Go Create with uh, Buncee. That's definitely cool. Something that I wanted to talk about is audio. I feel that audio, and we're on an audio mm-hmm. podcast right now, but I feel like audio is such a powerful tool that is quite frequently overlooked in the classroom. And recording and editing with the students, I think there's a lot that you can do with audio. Oh, absolutely. I've, I've been working for years um, t- developing student podcasts. And yeah. getting that tool out is a great way for students to create, to demonstrate understanding, to share, to, to really enhance the learning and also the communication um, between the classroom and the community at large. Um, we did develop a, we did um, work on a massive podcast project, uh, 2019, I think yeah, it was, or was it 18, um, for the NPR podcast c- contest where we worked with a sixth grade class that actually built their own 3D printers and went through an, an amazing process with building and then printing and incorporating it into their curriculum. But we, we took their experiences and entered the NPR podcast challenge. Unfortunately, we did not win. That's okay. But I think the process was amazing Um, to see the students to engage, to collaborate, to build something that was completely original um, from scratch. Right. And and create something that could be consumed by others um, was fantastic. The learning, the collaboration, the critical thinking, the the excitement. it wasn't just a regular day for them. 
No. Every day was different. Every experience was different. And it engulfed and included all content areas because they had to have the script and the mm -hmm. editing and they had to write their scripts and they had to practice it. And we talk about public speaking nowadays. You know, public speaking is oftentimes a challenge for students, but podcasting in general can really help students meet those content standards. It can explore their interests. They can learn new skills, tap into the four C's like you were just mentioning and engage in that authentic learning experience. And when they were going through the process, as Andrew mentioned, uh, we tied in everything, but there was a place for every student. Um, a lot of people are not comfortable. I'm still not very comfortable in front of a microphone. Um, I wish I had the voice of Mr. Voice in the beginning, but <laughs> I don't. I, I say fantastic a lot. So um, Super but, excited. Super excited. But <laughs> okay. not everyone likes to share their voice, but that they can still be integral parts. We had, we had graphic designers to build the logos and the website. Um, we had audio engineers. We, we, we had script writers and, and writers that would update the website that went along with, with the podcast. So we were able to incorporate so much of their curriculum right. into this podcast. But just, you know, not everything has to be full-fledged like that, but just the audio component is huge for giving students a voice and being able to share. Agreed. And whether it's 100 or only one person listens to that episode or how many ever episodes the students create, it's still a podcast and it's still giving – students the opportunity to share their voices, which is very, you know, very important as we talk about the engaging component of engaging students in a different way. Mm -hmm. And we know that they may not all be uh, fans of the microphone or, but everybody, every student has a voice in the creation of the podcast, even if they're not the one in front of the microphone. And if we think about our instructional design, we want to be able to provide opportunities for students to feel invested in what's going on in the classroom or feel invested on what's going on in school. Because if students are invested, they're engaged, they're excited, your classroom management becomes much easier, the building culture becomes much better because they find purpose. Um, so, so looking at other things to bring into the classroom to create that engagement or that inclusivity um, shouldn't be overlooked because it, you, might, you might not think, well, is this really relevant? It can be relevant in areas outside of what you're directly teaching. And when we talk about podcasts, you know, there's the, there was a great article by uh, Jennifer Gonzalez uh, with the Cult of Pedagogy. And she says, you know, this is why should you bring podcasts into your classroom? Um, and basically, you know, she, she set the scene by saying, imagine this scene in your classroom. Students are at their desks, completely engaged and attentive but no one's talking. You're also quiet. Your students are not doing a worksheet. They're not watching a video. They're listening. So a podcast playing from the speakers at the front of the room, students get caught up in the story. Maybe they laugh. There's a joke. Maybe they cry. The imaginations, their imaginations are alive. The words are turning into movies in their minds. And physically they're there, but really they're in another world. And the best part is that's the power of audio. It's an act of listening and a good narrative. It's screen-free, movement-enabling, ear-stimulating, eye-opening way to deliver the content. So whether you're in-person, remote, hybrid, flip, blended, podcasts can enhance your teaching in many meaningful ways. And it's also completely accessible. Yes. I mean, these digital files can be pushed out through your learning management system, can be accessed by students on any device anywhere. Right. And there's no sign-in required. And that's the best thing. We all talk about EdLaw 2D and making sure we're 
uh, COPA, FERPA, and, and protecting students' personal identifiable information, we definitely want to ensure that students are safe. And typically, podcasts are going to give that. And why do they work? So we know that listening to a podcast can improve reading. Whether you're in primary through high school, research will show that developing listening comprehension supports reading proficiency. We also know, as Dan had just mentioned, podcasts are portable. With audio, students are not tied to a screen. They can do all kinds of other things while listening to the podcast, including art projects, math facts, you know, whatever it is, they are portable. And, you know, we talked about it. It, it helps with student engagement, helps with listening skills, student independence, but also with, re- with reflective thinking. Um, not only are they listening or creating something out of interest or engagement, but you take it a step further and being able to reflect on what we listen to or if we're, we're developing podcasts for an audience, being able to think, who is my audience? What are they interested in? How can I hook them in in the first minute or two? Um, so you have this, this whole process um, where students are being reflective throughout. Which is something we always are saying we want our students to be able to be able to reflect upon their learning. One other thing about podcasts and a benefit is they're current. Many podcasts offer discussion of current events, things going on around the world, in society, in the classroom. Uh, It helps you keep things fresh. Podcasts also come in a a variety of different lengths. So it could be a short five-minute podcast. It could be a 20-minute podcast. Depending upon how you want to utilize it is really going to uh, kind of drive where you use it for instruction. I will point out at this point that there are some kid-friendly podcasts out there that you can look into. There's six minutes. Okay. But why? Tumble Science Podcast for Kids, Brains On Science Podcast for Kids, and a Stories Podcast. Podcasts also help meet academic standards. We know listening is now an anchor standard of the Common Core standards. And even states that are not using Common Core, there are listening standards in the curriculum. So that is something that's very important as we think about how we can get our, our students practicing for to listening and make it a muscle for these tests that make sense so they can build their stamina with a podcast. They're enjoying listening to podcasts. They'll be strong for the assessment audio portion of things. Uh, and, and then once they're following listening, we can have students do these extra activities, whether it be identifying the main idea, making inferences or recalling uh, specific details from a story. Um, it, it addresses the ELA standards. So listening to a podcast is most certainly aligned with your curriculum uh, and, you know, your standards, whether it be Common Core, Next Gen Science Standards, all the Next Gen Standards. It's definitely a way to ensure that you are uh, making sure that you touch base with what you need to teach curriculum wise. And so I'll just point out as we're here, so we're bringing it up, it kind of goes in 10 ways you can use podcasts in a course or lesson. This comes from um, an article by Barbie Honeycutt, PhD, 10 ways you can use podcasts in your course to engage students. So we'll post this um, in the show notes. But, you know, if, if you're looking for podcasts out there, you can have students compare and contrast two podcast episodes where the same topic is discussed by different guests. Um, You can use an episode as a supplement or additional resource for a reading assignment. Um, You can ask students to work in pairs or groups to prepare a list of questions before listening to the episode, and then encourage them to listen to the podcast, review the transcript, find the answers to their questions. But also, um, you know, any questions I have unanswered, you can reach out to the podcast host. Yeah. Um, all their links are, are Hashtag out there. Hashtag EdTech guys. There you go. Hashtag <laughs> EdTech guys. But 
if, if they have questions or they'd like to learn more, we can we can help the students reach out. I mean, it would be possible to have these students do a, a Zoom or Google Meet interview or, or Skype interview so they can come in and talk to your students. I'm sure a lot of these content creators or these organizations would love that opportunity. Um, so, so there's more in here, um, and we'll definitely post the link. But that's one thing, that it is current and it's accessible, and I love the opportunity that, hey, reach out, form a relationship with this person, have them come in. Think about just creating your own, and, and now I know I'm going from zero to 60, but if, if, you, if you're creating a, a class podcast for whatever reason, right, and you're able to connect to another classroom across the country, across the state, across the world, and then they're able to critique and learn from each other. It's very powerful I, right I'm, there. I'm, I'm not, I don't have this in my notes, so I'm going off of a memory of something, but there was years ago... I, I don't remember what school it is. I don't remember all the details, but there was, was an orchestra that was performing a piece of music by a composer that was from Japan. Okay. And so the, the teacher, the, the conductor, was really trying to, to teach this piece of music. And they reached out to the composer to, to you know, just talk to them. Follow up, yeah. Follow up. Next thing you know, the composer is Skyping into... The orchestra wow. and working with the kids directly, um, the power of, of technology, in this case, social media, it w- was a definite positive. So, yeah, oftentimes we overlook that component of, the, you know, taking it one step further. Sure, we're utilizing the podcast, we, but what's the worst that can happen? They say no or they don't get mm-hmm. back to you, which is fine. People are busy. Everybody's lives. We understand that, you know, everything, everybody has a different mindset on what they want to be able, how they can assist. You know, there's things going on, personalized, professional lives and so forth. But if you don't ask, you don't know. And that's the big thing is it doesn't hurt to reach out and say, hey, uh, are you willing or what kind of, you know, can you meet with us? 20 minutes, whichever it is, that's very powerful. So, um, I think we're going to start to wrap up this episode, right. episode number six. Uh, we didn't get, so we talked about the power of podcasting. And I think as we continue to look at that moving forward, because now uh, the driving question that many people probably have is where do I begin? Right. Where do I start? What resources you can use in your classroom tomorrow? And I think there's a lot of resources out there. I think we should just give a few examples here. I know we can get it That's fine. more in depth, but like right off the bat, you know, to, to do audio recording, um, two tools. I mean, if you're in a Mac environment, GarageBand yep. is so easy to use. You can open up GarageBand, do a voice recording. You have an MP3 file that you can then put and host anywhere. You can put that MP3 file directly in your LMS you can put that audio file directly in Google Slides with the insert audio feature. Um, so GarageBand, and for those not in a Mac environment, if you're in a PC environment, Audacity, which is a free download, um, yep. is another great audio recorder out there. Yeah, and the thing with GarageBand and uh, Audacity, again, so uh, GarageBand is the iOS world, so whether it's Macs or iPads, mm-hmm. uh, and as Dan had mentioned, Audacity is free on Macs and Windows, so it's not going to be a mobile kind of device. One I just wanted to mention that's very simple, if you just want to start having students practice with something very simple, it's the most simplistic level there is, insert audio in Google Slides. Mm-hmm. Easiest way, 
They, you know, Chromebooks, everything. Google Slides has that insert audio feature now. And yeah, okay, maybe it's not a fully fledged produced podcast, but it'll allow students to start thinking about creating a script, editing a script, mm-hmm. and reading it. Right. Very simple on a slide. And, you know, I'm glad you brought up the Chromebook aspect because, you know, there are, it is a little more challenging to record your voice directly in a Chromebook um, and be able to use it in, in other areas. So that insert audio feature. Um, also a great tool, two great tools that are pretty easy to use to get audio are Screencastify and Flipgrid. So if you're using the Screencastify extension, you do a regular video recording, but you can export the audio only. Screencastify does have an editor as well, so you can get a little fine-tuned in there. And now Flipgrid has an audio only, um, option where, where you can use that feature download and they have the mixtapes i mean flipgrid's another Mm -hmm. safe platform for students to be able to connect across the you know classrooms connection community world so on so forth so definitely some some quick tips there on how to use some basic audio and we can definitely talk more multi-track audio in another episode uh recording editing with students but just to get it started just to review GarageBand, audacity screencastify insert audio in google slides and flipgrid there's Mm -hmm. five tools right there Awesome. So once again, thank you for all your support listening on all the platforms and leaving us a review. We do greatly appreciate that. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, please reach out. Mr. Voice will hit you with the socials. And as always, we say tech hard, work smart, live in adventure. Find Andrew on all socials at A Nicola Tech and Dan at WCSD Tech DR.